everybody. Thanks for tuning in to Until We Get Cancelled. On today's episode, we're joined by my friend Donna, uh, who is a Philippinex descended anarchist organizer, parent, educator, and immigrant living on stolen Saponi and Manakan land in Virginia. And uh, we talk about the Capitol riots from last week, all the lessons and things to take away from it as we move into the potential for another week of violence all across the country. So thanks for tuning in. Um, I just want to shout out that Donna is also a part of our very first commentary over at our other podcast project, The People's Commentary from the Magdalene Network. She joins me and Maria Chavalon suit an asylum seeker living in sanctuary in the U.S. to talk about the Book of Ruth. That has its own feed on all podcast platforms. Highly recommend you check it out. It's a lot of fun. There's more coming from the People's Commentary later this spring in the season of Lent. Brian is going to uh, drop a commentary on the Book of Acts. So if you haven't subscribed or listened to that podcast, I highly recommend you checking it out. And just one other note about today's episode. It's just me, Brian, and Donna. Carrie couldn't be with us. Uh, shout out, Carrie. Um, we will see you back again next week. So without further ado, here we go until we get canceled. Well, it hasn't happened yet. I'm Brian. I'm Isaac. And we're joined today by a very special guest. Hi, my name is Donna. I use she and her pronouns. Donna, um, listeners of our other podcast, The People's Commentary, will know you from the Ruth Pod, which has been dropping on Sundays and uh, is really great. I encourage everybody to subscribe to that feed and, and check it out. But Donna, we wanted to have you on until we get canceled today to talk about the stuff in uh, DC last week and sort of looking forward to the inauguration of Joe Biden and everything else. So thanks for joining. Oh, you're welcome. I, I really appreciate you uh, thinking about me and inviting me to join your conversation. So let's get right into it. I, I wonder, Donna, if you could just give us, uh, and we can kind of go around the the table here and just start off with like initial reactions to what we saw in the, in the Capitol last week. And we can kind of build out from layers there because... I also want us to talk about the reaction to what happened, but like initially, you know, what were your first thoughts as you saw the stuff going on last week in, in the Capitol building? For me, um, it was all very ridiculous. I am not someone who has a lot of um, investment in what happens in that place. You know, I never have. And, um, you know, watching probably a lot of the same white nationalists that we saw descend on our city here in Charlottesville a couple of years ago, given leeway to um, behave as they had, you know, it, it, it was all just very ridiculous to me. Um, I, I think uh, a lot of people here in Charlottesville had a very specific response to it because what happened here in 2017 is still, still weighs on us all very heavily. You know, I personally, though, I've had to work on a lot of healing through therapy and lots of other things, um, pivoting the way that I, that I approach organizing um, as a way of recovering from that. And um, and I think maybe I didn't have the same emotional response as a lot of people here had. A lot of people that I care about and, and work closely with, you know. So, yeah, I, I was just sort of, it, it kind of made me laugh, <laughs> quite frankly. I mean, there absolutely was a level of kind of uh, hyperbole to it that just, you know, <laughs> that, yeah, I, I also kind of keyed into as well. Even, But I, I think the funny thing about it is that having been in Charlottesville in 2017 and then and I want us to talk about this later like 2018 but over the summer as well and seeing the response to very mild protests um very peaceful you know peaceful whatever uh protests there just the police response was I think maybe the most comical thing about it to me but also I I guess I I do 
continue to be shocked by the just sort of feelings of, I think what I saw a lot of people expressing on social media was this kind of feeling of violation, like the Capitol being breached was like, you know, the desecration of something sacred to them. And and yet at the same time, it was so obvious that the response from the Capitol Police was, you know, I guess there was this disconnect between the feeling online of like, how dare people do this? They've like, they violated the institutions of our democracy. And yet the Capitol Police were pretty much just like, oh no, you belong here. Like, come on in. You know? And so there was this cognitive dissonance between folks who are like, they've done something wrong and the actual response on the ground, which was, you know, yeah, this isn't a threat. This is like no different than like some, you know, unruly drunken sports fans celebrating a national championship or something. Like they were given that much freedom to move about. And so uh, that's something I want us to break down and, and get into. But Brian, before we move on from this, what were your initial thoughts to what you saw? Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of basically the same place both of you are. I, I got real pissy about all the sacred language, about the sacredness of the Capitol. And it's like, no. Uh, I, and that, we can talk about that later too, because that's, that's one of, and especially that coming from a lot of very online clergy, it's like, and also people that have kind of, you know, over the summer were talking about, uh, they were never using like burn it down language, but they were trying, they were, they were tiptoeing that way. So it's like, mm, you all should think about this a little bit. Um, you know, for me, it's, it's kind of, I guess, the culmination of like, God, probably even since like the tea party of it, of it it's like, you can't be surprised. I always tell, like, I always say this, but you can't be surprised if you, like, construct a dragon that it also has teeth, right? Or that it breathes fire or some shit. And so, like, that, I see this as kind of the natural result of what's been happening over the last four years. So that part of it wasn't surprising to me. I think what was so exhausting, and, and I think that's how I feel, is I'm just exhausted by it, is the kind of the immediate response of people who seem to only like live in the moment. And I'm talking about people that I know uh, all the way up to like Congress, uh, senators, stuff like that, where all of a sudden it's like this immediate switch, right? And it's like, all of a sudden, everything gets like wiped clean. And all of a sudden we can, we can start talking about, well, we never thought this would come, or we never did this, or we never thought that they would uh, dis, you know, dishonor you at the democracy. And it's like, I don't know, I'm just tired. It's like, what are you talking about? They've been literally doing this forever. You all have been doing this forever. And so like the immediate switch and the immediate, like, I guess, like entrenching into these kind of like bunkers of being able to say, this is uh, this is what's happening or denying it or whatever. I don't know. I'm just, I'm tired. <laughs> I might, I might halfway through. Uh, if, if Carrie wasn't out today, uh, I might, I might've just been like, no, I'm sick. I can't do this episode. It's just, it's just exhausting to me. I, I, I don't understand. Like, I, I think that, on both sides, you have this like significant lack of like logic or like thought process that's kind of led up to this. And it's, I don't know, it's just exhausting to me to see people who were like, all cops are bastards, you know, three months ago. And suddenly they're like retweeting people to the FBI and like doxing people. And, and it's like, like, I don't know that that's a bad thing. And maybe this is where the exhaustion comes. But at the same time, it's like you have ACAB in your Twitter bio and you're like, hey, FBI, here's this guy. It's like, <sighs> okay, I, I don't know. Anyway, and Donna, do you want to? Sorry, jump in there? You, you teed it up for me. And I just unloaded. I'm not going to say anything the rest of the podcast. I got everything I no, needed no. to say out. <laughs> no, it's good. I, I it, it was funny seeing people be like, well, some people who over the summer, you know, yeah, were I don't know. I I think it's interesting. We can. I I mean I I want to get into this a little bit more, but I I think that on some level our thought press process from the summer fed straight into the election. And so there are people who went straight from like learning about prison abolition and defunding the police into, you know, thinking that the next best thing they could do was vote for Joe Biden. So yeah, I mean, I think that's where some of that disconnect comes from. And I don't think that it's wrong to like, I think every one of those people should be held accountable in some way. I just think that there's a weird disconnect. And I think that it's setting us up for three months from now when when whatever tepid response comes out of this, for people just like you just said, to just kind of forget everything that's happened over the last four years. It's like, oh, we're happy now. We have Joe Biden. It's like, well, let's just wait and see. Let's 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 actually hold some feet to the fire. Sorry, Donna, you can... Now, now can respond. I, I, I've, I've taken my shot there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, you know, that's a, it's a really good point to make. And I think, you know, those, those of us who um, are having these kinds of reactions can't say it enough that, you know, there is, 
there is that disconnect between where we were this summer um, with so many people, not just um, opening themselves up to, but even embracing the longstanding abolition work. And then, you know, and then not being able to carry that over into their responses to what happened last week. Now, I, I will say that, you know, obviously there's a difference between people saying, oh, those people should be arrested and, and people just wanting to point out the hypocrisy of them not being arrested mm-hmm. versus all of the black and brown people and anti-fascists who face all kinds of police violence and police repression um, compared to, to the response we saw to the, to the folks last week. You know, but, but putting that aside, you know, yeah, seeing, seeing people being willing to cooperate with that same, you know, law enforcement. <laughs> I mean, again, it, it, for me, it's just like, a, it's, a, it's a level of ridiculousness. I mean, but it, a, a different level of ridiculousness to, to the actual siege of the Capitol. You know, you know, I think it's, it's something that we have to be able to address with each other, right? And to be able to have these conversations with each other. Um, when we have those, those friends, those comrades who we were on the streets with um, this summer and who, you know, we've been building um, these defund campaigns with all over the country since this summer, who were then, you know, falling back into the tendency to, to want this level of retribution for things that they see as threats to, to themselves or to their communities, you know, we, we have to be able to have those conversations with each other and to be able to say, yeah, like, I, I thought you were fuck 12, you know? Um, <laughs> and so, um, so yeah, but, I, but, but that's a, that's a part of the work, right? I mean, I, nobody comes into abolition all of a sudden and, and just knows all the time how, how to respond from an, from an abolitionist framework to what they see happening around them, what, you know, in response to, to um, anything, you know, occurring in their own lives. And, uh, and it's important for us as communities of people to, to work through that with each other. Mm. Um, and, and then the, the other point that I wanted to make is, I think there are lessons here for those of us who consider ourselves to be leftist, um, radical organizers, one of the things that we've been seeing more and more from the right is a co-optation of our tactics, a co-optation even of our rhetoric, you know? And so, for instance, you know, there's footage on social media of these right-wing folks, you know, doing our chants. You know, there was a there. There was footage of them doing the "Who's Streets" chant, you know, um, and and things like that. And you know, even 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 some of the tactics of like having medics on the street with them, and you know, and and that sort of thing that we hadn't really seen before. And I think, like, obviously, those tactics are valuable, but it also means that they are tactics that are easily co-opted and, um, and that we have to start thinking about how to not necessarily change, but broaden, broaden those tactics and broaden our, even broaden our, um, our, our perspectives and how we, how we um, articulate them in ways that I think even if people on the right do take those on and, 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 and no matter in what weird way they kind of do, it's not a threat to us. It's not a threat to the furthering of our movement. Um, and, and, and we don't so easily fall back on our, our tendencies to rely on the things um, in which we were indoctrinated. Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a lot to get into there. And I, I think one of the big ones from the summer is I don't know. I mean, I I don't want this question to be off base, 
So let me know if I'm like hitting some sort of line here. But I mean, at this point, can we really consider, you know, the the protest as actions, as as examples of direct action, really successful in in the long term? I, I mean, outside of Minneapolis, it felt like a lot of a lot of the protests. Well, I mean, I, I would just actually say outside of Richmond. You know, it felt like a lot of the protests had have been sort of defanged because they were because cities and municipalities so quickly tried to sort of work them in to to make them less confrontational. Or, but I don't know. I mean, I guess at the end of the day, like now that we have some months on the summer, and we've already seen the Democrats blame defund the police for them not winning more seats. Like, what you know? How do you look back on on the summer's protests as? I mean, is that like notion of success or failure even applicable in this in this case? Yeah, I mean, I think it it kind of depends on what exactly we're how we're how we're defining either success or, or failure. I think for me, there was a great amount of success in in how much um, abolition became a part of the national consciousness, you know, because obviously abolition work has been around and and has been developed over many, many, many years. And it's it's been a hard politics to get people to understand and and even really think about very seriously, even on the left, you know. And I think um You know, so I think that on on that on that level, there's success. Um, you know, people are are just getting their feet in the door, and there's going to be a lot of confusion and questions and concern trolling and you know that kind of thing. But that's, I, I think that we have to um, be less like feel less abrasive about those things and um, and be more open to first of all understanding that you know, that's a, those things are a part of the process of all of us, you know, um, getting to that place where we want to be, you know, tearing down what is destroying us and building up what, you know, the world that we want to see for each other. So th- those things are a part of the process and, and, and to be able to help each other think of ways of responding to those questions and the concerns and, and push back in a way that that deepens our work, you know, um, and broadens our work, you know, and, and even and even just on a personal level, like if you can't defend these things in a way that invites people further in, then then you probably have some work to do on yourself, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, that, and that's for all of us. You know, we all, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I mean, Isaac, you know me, and I'm ready to tell people to fuck off and slam the door on them <laughs> quicker than anyone, you know. Um, but, you know, when, when people are showing me that the, the questioning and the concerns and the, and the pushback comes from a really genuine place of like, I really don't understand this. Like, I don't understand why you're saying this to me. You know, that's something that I can work with. But, you know, um, different kinds of pushback where people are just, you know, the devil's advocate kind of, stuff is, you know, I don't have time for it. Yeah. I just want to say, I I feel called out on my own podcast and and rightfully so. Uh, (laughs) No, I I think, I think what you just said, like, is, is just, is so perfect. And and you see this, especially in, I think a lot of progressive movements or circles, the idea of like not being able to allow somebody to grow into a position. Now, at some point you have to have a conversation about how long does it take or how long do you accompany somebody along the road if they're until they get to that role role. But part of my frustration is I think is kind of like, yeah, well, that that kind of like full throated support of something and then being willing to just take a step back and, and revert back into the comfort of your life and and only kind of step forward when something is happening. And that that I think is where my frustration is. I, I love the idea though of 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 having that conversation uh, with somebody and being able to kind of work with them and move them forward. It also throws in this bone, which I want to talk about later of, you know, or the wrench into the argument about like when then that becomes a quick step into like talks about unity, <laughs> uh, which is another thing that will get me all fired up. Uh, but I, I do. I love that. Um, and thank you for kind of graciously and uh, politely calling me out on my on my BS. Uh, 
<laughs> yeah, you know, and 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 that's you know the that's part for all of us to do that to you know we we do often have to be reminding each other of you know of, of the integrity that um this work requires you know and you know it, integrity is not easy to come by it's it's so much easier to let your emotions take over and that kind of thing and and, and you know and I do have to say that sometimes it's not your job to be the person to hold that person's hand across the threshold you know <laughs> and 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 that person may deserve that and may may need and deserve that but it doesn't it doesn't always have to be you you know <laughs> so even like a, a fuck you from me doesn't mean that somebody else can't come along to take that person uh you know uh by the hand and help them get through you know uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm just laughing because i could see it in my head donna just be like someone else help this person <laughs> Yeah. Or I just, I just, I can't, yeah. but you know what? This is a total word to, I, you know, I, I hope we have a pastors out there that are listening to this who think that it's their job to sort of save their white supremacist congregation or whatever. It's just like, no, sometimes it's just not your work and uh, you shouldn't kill yourself trying to do it. If there's like, if I don't know, just, you know, I think also in a lot of churches where it's like, Oh, you know, the, this church like is full of people that don't recognize the dignity of of LGBT people. So like I got to change their mind so that then suddenly it can be that space. Sometimes it's like, no, actually LGBT people should just not go to your church ever. Like, <laughs> and that's okay. Like they should just never go there because it's never going to be a safe place and like get out as quick as you can or something like that. But I, I, I want to go back. Part of the reason why I wanted to ask you about that success question, Donna, gets back to something you said about tactics, because at the end of the day, I do think there are some telling things about the kind of movements we've seen uh, over the the last year in, and how they could be compared to each other. And the reality is that the, you know, some of these far-right groups have successfully taken over the state capitol in Michigan and the Capitol building in Washington, D.C. And now, you know, the funny thing is that they're like actively sort of disavowing responsibility for that. I mean, victory they had in D.C. It was a victory. They, I don't think anybody left that thinking that they had been defeated. They held that space for hours without any major police response or massive amount of arrests or so. But I guess on some level, I think it is telling that they could do that. And and I wonder, you know, one of the big things that is different about some of the tactics that we've seen is that these groups on the right are going into these actions like armed, you know, and it's just not something we really saw in the same way over the summer with um, Black Lives Matter protests. And and so Donna, I'm just wondering, like, you were you were making that point about tactics, like, sort of turn it around the other way are these are is the success of these two specific actions by the right something that could never be repeated by the left or is it because they're going in armed like what do you think what do you think about any of that as far as the comparison goes i mean i think for for any in whatever regard we can consider what happened last week a success for the people on the right it it's really only that that was that was possible only because the state are the people on the right mm-hmm. <laughs> the, the, the state and their agents are the people on the right i mean we know already that um many of the participants of um last week's actions were sheriffs and police officers who were on their day off or who had taken time off so that they could go and be a part of that. You know, they recognize each other. I mean, this is the manifestation of the meme with the Spider-Man performing <laughs> each other. And, you know, um, you know, and, and I think that we, we have to know and understand that, right? We would never have that level of response. And, and, and in particular, any of those, any of those of us on the left, anarchists and anti-fascists, who are non-white people, if mm-hmm. if that had been a crew of my people, 
showing up armed and pushing our way through the Capitol building, we would we would have all been shot, you know. But but I but I think that's true even if if it had been a more predominantly white group, as long as you know the the reasons that they were there, you know, was framed by a rhetoric of of anti-fascism, of anti-racism, you know, um, of you know, being against the state at all. Well, well, you know, from our perspective, because of course there were some people there last week who were making weird remarks about being against the, the government, you know. But, you know, I, I had a friend that I was um, having a little bit of a conversation with over Facebook, you know, and she she was just going on and on about how, like, it it just doesn't make any sense because it's like they're they're protesting this thing that they've sort of manifested in their own heads as a threat to themselves. And she's like, there's nothing about what happens in the Capitol that is a threat to white people, (laughs) especially white people like them. Right. You know, who, who, who are not anti-fascists, who are not anti-imperial, imperial, who are not anti-racist. Right. And so, you know, they've conjured up their, you know, this make-believe threat um, that, that quite frankly doesn't exist. There's nothing about a Biden presidency that is going to threaten their lives in any way, shape or form, you know? Um, Because even if we can imagine that a Biden presidency is going to be even marginally different than a a Trump presidency, which is not something that I believe, it's, there's the, the things that might change is not going to make life harder for white people. It might make things a little bit easier for non-white people, you know, for, for, for trans and, and queer folks, you know, for poor folks. It might make things slightly better for us, but that doesn't make anything harder for white people, you know? And, and you know, just there's that level of, um, again, just conjuring up threats to whiteness that mm. that do not exist with any presidency. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought this up because one of the questions I had was, what exactly were they protesting? Like <laughs> genuinely, and, and and I think, but I think your comment about and Brian, I'll I see you chopping the bit, but I think your comment about uh, the the reaction from the police just showing what side they were on. I think that part of the sort of inability to really pull anything out of this. For a lot of white people, about like, oh, I oppose this because I stand for democracy. At the same time, as these people who have taken over the Capitol building are like, I'm here because I stand for democracy, or I I love America. It's just like they're fighting over the same thing because there's really no enemy there at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just like on some le- on some level, it's just kind of like. I don't know. It just kind of gets back to like, this is all just like a big rowdy frat party in the Capitol, but it's like, but that's the frat house. (laughs) So it's like, (laughs) you're either saying, please, you know, don't party that hard or like, or yeah, like let's keep it going. But it's not, it's not about like, oh, this is wrong versus this is right. Or like, this is how we have to defend the institution. Brian, what were you going to say? Well, I have a lot of thoughts now, like whether or not Andrew W.K. of Party Hard Fame would be uh, for or against this. Uh, you, you kind of basically talked about what I was going to say. Hang on, hang on. Don't, do not defame Andrew W.K. <laughs> I'm not, he's my, he's literally my alarm. So I, I, I chuckle every time I wake up in the morning because it starts off with that robotic, like, party hard. <laughs> it really upsets my wife. But anyway. Well, uh, you're going to love this. He was one of my early Twitter followers. Oh, Come on. Yeah. Dang. Well, okay. I'm, New I'm left- Googling Andrew WK now. I don't know who that is. <laughs> He's got a really funny song called Party Hard yes. that uh, I probably listened to a million times in college. Yeah, I mean, oh I, I've listened okay. to it too many times. I I'm <laughs> talk about places I did not expect for this to go. Um, I. Yeah, I, I was going to basically say the same thing as you, Isaac. And then the place where I saw it, and it just made me laugh my ass off and gave me so much life this week, uh, were in the videos of people finding out they were not being able to fly. And, and it's just kind of like, it's like you, 
you are saying you're against this whole thing. And so like this kind of consequence of that should actually be a victory for you. Like this idea of being recognized as somebody that's actually trying to impact the state, but instead you're getting mixed into like memes of, of people singing because you you can't you can't fly. So yeah, that, that's all. I was going to say the same thing as you basically. I actually don't know what they're, it, it seems like a very dangerous cosplay, basically. Um, I don't think they actually believe in anything um, because they no matter what happens, even with the Biden presidency or the Trump presidency, they're just, they're only varying like a little bit of either way on each side. They're kind of staying in the same place, it feels like, so. Well, I, I think that, Donna, you're you're right that as soon as we see, you know, over the summer, a national response to police violence and calls to defund the police, you know, abolish prisons, over legitimate, th- illegitimate like things, deaths, murders that we've seen, you know, video footage of, confirmed reports of, suddenly white people have to sort of invent a persecution dream that they can use to justify their own sort of violent response to mm-hmm. the legitimate grievance of of the protests from the summer, and and I think we've seen we've seen that sort of erupt all over the main sort of cultural points of of whiteness, like from Christianity to sports. I mean, it, you know, the number of people who think that the NBA is going to like shut down because they don't turn it on or the number of people who are like, because of Colin Kaepernick, you're like, I'll never watch an NFL game again. Like to, to institutions, you know, that continue conversations about cancel culture at universities and all this crap, even though it doesn't happen to anyone on the right, typically only happens to scholars who stand up for Palestinian rights. Palestinian human rights. Like, I just think that, you know, to the conversations in in politics about like, I mean, I, I just can't get over that white woman from Pennsylvania, the state senator who said basically after she like lost her seat or narrowly won, can't remember which one, but like, you know, I just think that those activists on the streets from Black Lives Matter, when they say defund the police, need to ask themselves whether or not it matters to them that it's going to mean that I lose my my you know, state legislator race. It's like, newsflash, no, it doesn't matter. <laughs> <Right>. There it <laughs> is. Easy answer. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, that, you know, that whole reaction was started by Abigail Spanberger, a, a white woman in Richmond, wh- who had its own, you know, months-long series of protests. So Donna, a- am I getting closer here to kind of putting some sort of semblance to what exactly is being protested? And, and that, what are you seeing that may line up or challenge that? Um, what was being protested where? Like what exactly were people in the Capitol protesting and the responses to it? Like, Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah. I mean, like I, like I was saying before, I, I think, I don't think that they were protesting nothing. I think that they were, again, protesting stuff that they, they've made up for themselves yeah. as, as threats to their lives, to their, to their freedom. Um, I mean, I think if you fail to connect the dots, between a, you know, a, a non-threat to your freedom, like th- this idea that there's a threat to your freedom, your liberty, yet you're able to walk into the Capitol pretty freely. <laughs> I mean, I understand some of it, you know, people got shot and, you know, and, and, and some people died, but, but quite frankly, you know, it, it, it's still not the level of response you would expect to see in the nation's capital. If you can't connect those dots that like, oh, here I am saying that, you know, people are taking away my freedoms, yet I walked right in here (laughs) and I took things and I played on people's computers and, you know, and walked away. And, you know, that like you're, you're making things up, you know, you're just, you're, you're quite frankly making things up. And um, for folks like yourselves, who could easily have blended into that crowd last week. <laughs> um, the the other lesson is, you know, I, I I did say earlier that sometimes it's not your job to to walk somebody you know across the threshold, but I do think that the the lesson for white radical folks is that there there needs to be a, a doubling down in gathering your people, you know, and 
And that may look like a lot of different things. And for me, one of the first steps is acknowledging that these are your people, you know? Um, I think um, in the last, well, for a long time, um, long, long time, before even the the uprisings from this past summer, one of the what a, one of the things that I've seen from particularly um, radical white folks is inclination to separate themselves from from other white people. You know, to separate mm. themselves not just from the people on the Capitol, but people that you know we consider liberals or progressives. You know, less radical. And, and to somehow, you know, set yourselves aside from these other white people, you know. And, um, and I think that it's really important to be able to recognize the threads of connection between yourselves and, and not, again, not just the people who were at the Capitol last week, but the officers who were there, the, you know, and, and even your less radical leftist friends who were like, oh, I'm, I'm going to help dox these people for the FBI, right? Like, like there, there, there has to be a thread of recognition that, that there's a connection between you all and that there's, there's work to be done to gather your people into the fold of radical response. You know, and, and I think, Isaac, you had, asked a question earlier about direct action. And I think that we have to remember that, you know, in the anarchist tradition or in the, in, 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 the, in the tradition of anarchist practices, direct action looks like a lot of things. You know, a lot of the things that we talk about as direct, direct action that in, in which we engage um, doesn't look like marches in the street and black block and, you know, and all of that, that's, that's the piece of it. That's one tactic, you know, but, but direct action is, is anything that we engage in where we take for ourselves the things that we need in any given moment with the understanding that we have everything that we need, um, that we don't have to wait for the government to give us permission or to to meet, to meet our needs, that, that we can do that for ourselves and for each other. And I think that there's something in there that can, that you can draw on to get your people (laughs) in line to, to, to gather them. And so, so yeah, like I, my partner and I, uh, just recently, uh, lost a bid on a farm. Um, and you know, we, when we went to go tour the property, you know, because we've done, been doing, we've been focusing a lot of our, um, organizing work on, um, on land work, you know, um, for BIPOC folks and, you know, and so we were trying to uh, acquire this property and, you know, when we arrived to, um, to, to do the tour with our realtor, the, the owner of the property um, refused to put a mask on, you know, um, and this is his home. This is, he has, he has a family, he has very small children who live in the house with him. And, um, and the idea that he was just having, you know, strangers come in and like walk around his home, you know, and, and our realtor, you know, who happens to be Boricua, like, like my partner, um, you know, she had masks for all of us and gloves and, uh, uh, shoe covers and everything. Like she was, she was trying to be really respectful of his face and, and all of that. And he was like, Oh no, 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 don't even worry about it. And, you know, that's the first clue for us. And, you know, and they're doing this like homesteading on this very large piece of property and, and are, and the reason they're leaving it is because they're going to buy an even larger piece of property. Right. So there's these indications that there's wealth involved that, you know, and, and that there may be some attachment to some weird conspiracy theories about, you know, the pandemic and that kind of thing. And, um, and, you know, and it's like, there's, there's so many barriers for, for BIPOC organizers to, you know, access the resources that we need 
to uh, to further our work. And um, and you know, and, and we need the the white people around us to to help break those barriers down, you know? Um, and so and I don't know what the actual answer is to that particular person and, and, and that, that piece of property, but, you know, it's like, <laughs> wherever we go, there's like, you know, I mean, wait, every time if, you know, it's like, we have to negotiate with this white person and like all the, the people who left before us. And then the people who came after us were all white. And we were just kind of like, yeah, we're probably not going to get this, <laughs> oh, no. you know? You know, but I mean, we were we were hoping that maybe we were get, you know we were bidding a uh, a little bit higher than some of the other folks. But I mean, again, we don't we don't have the same level of resources. But but anyway, you know, it's just like we're we're having to grow and change and pivot our work all the time. You know, mm-hmm. because we come across these barriers all the time. You know, um, you know, my partner and I had to to learn to pivot our work after you know multiple arrests and jail time. What had worn us out, you know, um, had, had, you know, really made it difficult for us, you know, to like psychologically and emotionally commit ourselves in the way that we had, but we're still committed. And so we have to figure out other ways to be in this movement and, and look at these other things and, and, um, getting, giving BIPOC folks access to land and being able to meet our needs off of the land, that's as much of a direct action as us showing up on the streets and and um, shouting down police and, you know, and all manner of things. They're both still important, but, you know, we have to remember that they're multiple tactics, right? There's a diversity of them, as a matter of fact, you know, and so, um, so yeah, so those are, you know, those are the things that I'm constantly thinking about, but, you know, they always, they come back to the forefront of my mind when, when I, when I see things like what happened last week and then the responses to it, you know, like I, I'm, I'm constantly having to, you know, think, think more and more about those things. And I, and I think that, um, that white radical people understanding these things more and more, that, that tactics, direct action you know, look like a lot of different things. And some of the things that you all have to be doing are the things that are going to break down those barriers mm. for for other folks who don't have the privileges that, that you all have. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that uh, one of the things that really struck me when I did see reactions to it from my folks is, you know, as we talk about like, sort of what exactly the protest was about for people. And then, but then the response to it was, how much work we still have to do in terms of the way that white people identify with places like Washington, D.C. and and with pieces of property as a part of their body. <laughs> you know, I mean, so many folks were unconsciously or consciously saying, you know, using terms that equated like damage to the Capitol building with damage to their person. Mm-hmm. And... As soon as I saw it, I just, you know, it took me back to the same conversations we have to have, you know, every time there's direct action where property gets damaged to anything else. It's just like, okay, at the end of the day, white people just don't have a, um, I don't know, we just don't have a vision of, of violence that takes violence against actual people more seriously than like what is perceived, what we perceive as like an extension of ourselves. And I think that was really powerfully demonstrated. And, and I think that it actually, you know, goes to, I think it gets right to the heart of questions about, about America that the Biden campaign has like tried to intentionally position itself to sort of swallow up and, and, take over so that they can kind of like spit them back out in in a patriotic way for their own benefit, starting with the fact that he constantly name-checked Charlottesville as the reason he was running for president because we were in a war for the soul of our nation. So I guess part of what I saw on that was, had this been a an action by a Black Lives Matter group or anti-fascists or any leftist group, the response would have been, even more dramatic, obviously from the police, never would have gotten there as you as you pointed out, Donna. But also the response from the general public would have been ferocious, just eight times worse than 
than it was. And and so I think that it's it it's a really important it's really important I think for for white radical folks to I think in so many ways challenge the inner logic there about what people are are unconsciously saying, but also the sort of religious and spiritual language that white people still continue to use about voting, about elections, about the presidency. I mean, if Trump couldn't show you that the presidency is a sham, I mean, if he reveal, if he, I mean, that, I guess, I don't know. If he couldn't show you like the true nature of the office of the president of the United States, then nothing will, right? Like, <laughs> but I think the whole time, most of the conversation was about like, most people, why people objected to his presence there because he wasn't doing it in a way that they could feel comfortable with. Like they felt shame about the office of the presidency, how they should feel because he wasn't performing the role in a way that they saw as polite or professional or whatever else. And, and so I guess that now that we've got someone who is going to play the role for them, you know, we've seen them talking about the we've seen our people talking about the sort of psychosomatic effects of that. I saw so many white people posting on election. I, I can breathe again. Mm-hmm. I can sleep again. Yep. Like you've always been able to breathe. You were breathing the entire time during the Trump presidency, like except for the fact that your the like role of the sort of ruler of our of our like race state wasn't functioning in a way that you were comfortable with. So yeah, I, I guess that the to me the thing that really was shocking, not shocking, but just like frustrating, but but also concerning to me on a deep level is how quickly I don't know, just like there there's really a spiritual fervor about all of this for white people. Mm-hmm. And uh I'm not saying anything new by that, but it's just it's wild how often we're like telling on ourselves in the way we respond to these things. And I know Donna, this is a drum that you've been beating your entire life. <laughs> so Oh, but I mean, it's like you, it's the to, to uh, quote another meme. Can you quote a meme? But it's this, it's the Scooby mask, right? Like we're pulling off the Scooby mask and seeing ourselves on the other side. Um, I, I think this like goes back to Donna, what you were talking about about the idea that what was happening inside the Capitol before this was never for BIPOC persons, right, or or queer folks. Um, and I think that Isaac, what, what you're tapping into is kind of connecting that a little bit of this idea of you saw this also with Ruth Bader Ginsburg like the amount of like like we should put her into the into the uh um uh, church calendar that the, I can't I'm losing oh, my, God yeah yeah and it's like no yeah, let's, let's, what are you uh, talking about her as yes. a saint. right yeah. and so it's like and it, there, there's a fun and this is what I was trying to get at before uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to uh save my uh from getting canceled um but I this is what I was trying to get at before is like there is a a, a an inherent belief in the system that is that has always comforted certain white people, myself included. So that when you, I think what you said, Isaac, is perfect. Is this idea of, of that Joe Biden will play the part, and so like playing the part just gives you something that you don't have to freak out about it online anymore. Now you can just sit back, and this is kind of my fear. You can just sit back, stay comfortable, and be like, "Well, remember Obama?" Like my wife and I always have this conversation. My my wife's like, "I loved Obama. Why can't we go back to Obama?" And I was like, "Do you want me to tell you what I like about Obama?" And she was always like. She's like, I don't understand why you can't just be happy. It's like, oh, that's a whole nother conversation, another podcast. But, you know, but I think that that's part of it is like this idea of like, and I think Donna too, what you were talking about, like coming kind of uh, coming for our own people a little bit is to, to maybe the conversation starts at pushing some of the people who are tiptoeing towards radical um, and, and, and kind of, I guess, pulling off that Scooby mask for them so that they can see it. I don't know that it's as easy of a, of a poll for the people who are kind of storming the Capitol. Like Elizabeth, what's her name? Elizabeth from Knoxville. Was that her name? Isaac. I, Isaac. I, Knoxville. Knoxville. Oh, a rough day for Knoxville. We can talk about it later, though. <laughs> We're storming yeah, the Capitol. Yeah. It's a revolution. <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, I got myself off track. No, no Elizabeth from Knoxville. That's yeah, what it was. Yeah. Um, where we had our moment there. <laughs> anyway, I, I just think it's. I think it's. I think it's a really. It's that weird thing of like, I, I think it's super important. I just wanted to call it out again, that idea of like what was happening in the Capitol is not, has never been for some people. And it's, we, and white people such as ourselves are allowed to kind of live in that fiction and be comforted by it. So, yeah. I, and, you know, one of the things I, I want to touch on too, just to, to get back to um, tactics, like I, I do think that we 
have to be really careful um, in our conversations with each other and what we what we put out there um, into the sort of public discourse around tactics, right? Because so you know, here's this group of people. You know, one of the biggest concerns that I think people across the spectrum um, had was the fact that they were armed, right? Being armed doesn't make you a bad person, right? And we have to get away from this idea that part of the reason that what happened was bad was was because they were armed, right? The fact that they broke things and broke into something, we we have to be careful about how we um, how we talk about that, you know, yeah. um, because again, you know. Uh, villainizing and even criminalizing tactics, the criminalization of that and the vilification of that will always harm marginalized folks tenfold over white folks, right? Yeah. And so even the the um, sort of, bleh, I'm losing my words right now, but just, uh, you know, people were starting to talk about, you know, the need to, to call what was happening terrorism, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm in community with a lot of um, radical Muslim folks who have been fighting Guantanamo for years and have been fighting against the war on terror. And, you know, and, and, and you know, they, they say it much better than, than I could right now. But basically that, you know, the, the notion of terrorism is racialized, you know, yes. um, they're... So you can uh, you can freely choose to apply that term to the people that you saw storming the Capitol last week. But whatever arises from that in the national discourse, in legislation is is always going to be used against non-white people in a way that just furthers um, our oppression. Yeah. Well, um, it does nothing to liberate us. And so we have to take care with that and, and, and demonizing any of the tactics that they use because, you know, black and brown radicals were using a lot of those same tactics during the uprising last year, right? Breaking things and setting things on fire and breaking into things, you know, um, this whole idea that, you know, looting store, especially when, you know, people are, are, are fighting state sanctioned um, violence in communities where, you know, there's more pharmacies and liquor stores and there are grocery stores, you know, and, and then we want to be mad at people for like looting a place. Like we just, we, we have to be, we just have to be really careful about how we, we talk about those tactics, how we, how we frame um, what we think about what happened last week um, and, and always be thinking about the ways in which that ends up turning against marginalized communities, whether that's our attention or not, you know, um, because in the end, with many things, it's it's going to be the impact and not the intention that is going to matter, right? Um, yeah, this is such an important point because I think we've already seen this happening and that the response, I, well, in a couple of ways, I saw a lot of white people who were sort of like on the fences, probably Republicans are considering themselves centrists who are immediately like saying things like, I can't tell the difference between this and the Black Lives Matter protests from the summer, particularly around tactics. And then immediately, I think this this gets exactly to your point, Donna, about how it redounds against marginalized folks, is that the response from the right was to blame it on marginalized folks, right? right. It was anti-fascists who were there, you know, in wolf's, like in sheep's clothes, who really are the ones who were doing this, you know, like, let's go back to like the boogeyman that we've created and media to blame all this, which I think blame all this on. It wasn't really the good white people there who just wanted to, to make sure that the election was fair. It was the same people from the summer. And, you know, I, I, I almost, if I had been on Twitter, I, I quit Twitter. And so I, I couldn't tweet this out, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> it say, it's going to I live to on the pod. Say what? I said your your tweets will always live on the pod, so no, don't worry. 
That's right. This podcast is my Twitter now. Um, God, God help us. <laughs> I, what I wanted to tweet was shout out to outside agitators for sitting out a protest uh, for the first time in 2020. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. But basically, that's you know, I think in some ways, Donna, maybe we can like start to wrap up with with this consideration. Is that's one of the major legacies of Charlottesville, right? As far as like it's been consumed in the mind of the public, is that. If anything else, like what people don't remember is, you know, the, the violence, Heather Heyer's death, the terror, the terror that was inflicted on, you know, black communities in Charlottesville for weeks before and after the 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 rally. Like it's that boogeyman of anti-fascism. That's what has stuck in people's mind coming out of A12 is the anti-fascists are here and they're like overrunning the country. And anytime there's a problem or anytime we see a broken window, we're going to think anti-fascism. So I, I think your, your point is, is so important that, you know, we can, the next time there's a need for legitimate direct action in the Capitol, it's going to be 10 times hard because 10 times harder and 10 times more violent. The cops are going to riot even harder because of what happened this past week and what could happen in the next week. And so I just think that to sum it all up, you know, when Biden takes over and Pelosi and Schumer are like, oh, sorry, we can't send out $2,000 checks because we got to hire more Capitol Police. Uh, it's going to be, or that's going to be the result. Or, but you also, even like Adam Schiff, I think is who it was, like tried to introduce a domestic terrorism bill, like already uh, since this happened. And so I think, Donna, that's exactly, I think that was where that leads to, where all of a sudden they have this discretion from the government to decide what is domestic terrorism and how that gets wielded. So when it comes from a place like this, I think it's very easy for white people and even some progressive white people to be like, yes, let's do that, but then not to care about it afterwards. It's like it's like doing the Patriot Act all over again. It's like, what the, the government and all of like NSA, FBI, they already have so many ways to kind of invade well, I just got a call from Washington, D.C. Maybe I should uh, calm down uh, about <laughs> what I'm saying. But, but I think like, like that kind of, I think you're exactly right. Like that idea of like, let's just put a domestic terrorism bill out there. It's just like, no, let's not. Let's not. I, 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 well, maybe not. I, I'm willing to be wrong about that. But I think that that is how that ends up getting wielded later on. So, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I, and I think that we have to not rely on the history or histories that have been fed to us, right? You know, we too often want to um, invoke someone like MLK Jr. and say, you know, as a as a way of even even on the left of saying like our tactic our tactics should be a certain way, but we have to help each other to reclaim the history as as it. Actually actually happened, right? That there, that, that there were people in the civil rights movement who were armed. And, and, and maybe MLK himself wasn't armed, but he hired armed people to protect him, knowing the threat against him and knowing what it would take to keep himself safe and to keep the movement safe. And that there were people working alongside the civil rights movement who were more heavily armed and were taking on, on different tactics that that wasn't just the you know nonviolent um, uh, civil disobedience that we that is is lauded and and rightly so but but that but it has to be lauded alongside the other things that that were also happening and that we have seen this throughout history right that that that, that black people and other people of color other colonized people around the world have used arms as a way of defending themselves and fighting back against their oppressors. And, um, and so, yeah, just like all of these things, you know, I, one of the most upsetting things for me that came out of Charlottesville was the introduction of legislation to ban um, firearms in public places. And it was just like, but Heather Heyer didn't get shot. She didn't die because someone shot her, you know, um, she died by car, you know, she died by someone attacking a group of people by a car. And so it's just like, it's a weird thing to constantly be, you know, uh, villainizing certain, certain tactics over others, over this sort of romanticization of what it has taken to gain any kind of 
freedom and liberties for colonized people, you know? Um, so yeah, so those are, those are all the things that I've been thinking of since last week. <laughs> well, I, the point you make about MLK, we're going to be just bombarded by that shit over the weekend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but how many days till February? <laughs> you know, MLK Day is on Monday. And oh, right, right, right. I was thinking of Black History Month. Yeah. No, well, I'm sure it'll continue. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think going into next week, you know, over under three mentions of Martin Luther King in the Biden inauguration speech. Yeah. I mean, we can always count on the CIA and the FBI to tweet about, uh, to tweet out their annual honors to MLK. One of the funniest things to happen online every year. Right. <laughs> but somebody, I think there's that famous tweet that somebody put out was like, stop clowning or dunking on the FBI for tweeting about MLK. Just because you kill someone doesn't mean you can't miss them. <laughs> Just, <laughs> it's so brutal. Anyway, okay. So as we go into next week, do y'all, you know, Donna, do you have any thoughts, recommendations for folks as as we go into like, I mean, already we're, we're seeing the, the state apparatus kind of like heighten awareness there. I feel like we're going to get, you know, George Bush is going to call in and be like, tell Biden to bring back the terror threat so we can get like a, a level orange warning for next week or something like that. But the, the story is already out there about more violence coming and everything else. So just, you know, what do y'all, how do we leave folks with uh, some things to think about as we go into next week? So um, Washington, D.C. is a place, um, an, an actual real-life place. Um, it's the belly of the beast, yes, but people live there. Do people work there? Um, lots of, as, as much as, as people of color have been pushed out of that area, there are still a lot of Black and Brown and immigrant folks there. Um, you know, one of the things that we saw um, coming out of last week, the Freedom All Coalition of Virginia um, helped to put together a multi-language, multi-multi-language. I mean, it, the the announcement came out in, I don't remember how many languages, but it was, you know, not just Spanish. Um, it, it was in, in Arabic, in, in um, Tagalog even. Um, you know, they, uh, a translation of the, um, the, the curfew, yeah. uh, the parameters of the curfew, you know. So there are people on the ground in the Washington, D.C., you know, the DMV area who are making asks of people. And I, I think that we should be paying attention to those, you know, um, not just reacting to what we see um, in, in the mainstream media or even on your, on your social media, but pay attention to what the people on the ground are, are um, saying is, is needed by the communities, particularly the communities of color there. You know, um, Black Lives Matter D.C. Um, has been has been making announcements of how they would like their allies and accomplices to be responding to these threats of violence. And, and, and they're, you know, that obviously is a very important group of people to be listening to. And if you can't be in DC for whatever reason, um, there are ways that you can support the work on the ground um, by these um, BIPOC organizers um, who've been there and are and are doing you know doing support of their communities on a daily basis, whether you know white nationals show up or not, you know, because the threats to these communities is real. It's it's everyday survival, and and you know we need to get to a point where we're not just doing like reactionary organizing all the time you know like there's there's organizing that needs to be done to sustain our people every single day and um and so yeah so just paying attention to that yeah thanks donna that is that is huge and and connecting with those folks on the ground rather than giving to the democratic party or to some mm -hmm. you know national org is so so important and gets gets lost a lot that there are people there uh actively resisting the stuff and have been um, deplatforming white supremacists and responding responding to fascist violence for four years, and uh, the toll that that takes. We've seen it, and, and before that, and before, and before that, before that, yeah. yeah, yeah. So the toll that that takes is uh, is huge on people, and yeah, the, they need our support. Brian, other thoughts before we get out of here? No, I mean I'm. I I'm only going to say something that will embarrass me uh, if I if I try to respond to what Donna just said because she said it perfectly. So uh, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Well, uh, Donna, thanks so much for doing this. Is there anything you want to 
promote or, or shout out while while we're still on? I mean, I think, you know, the thing that I think that I that I always say is most important in our work is the relationships that um, we form and build with each other, that it's it's the messiest part of the work that we do, but it's probably the most necessary, you know, Um, and things, you know, relationships will fall apart and sometimes they come back together or they don't. But, you know, how we tend to those relationships is so important. And so in that regard, it's very nice to meet you today, Brian. And and again, Isaac, thank you for inviting me into another one of your podcasts to have this conversation because, you know, we miss you here. <laughs> it's good to see your face and, and hear from you. Yeah, it's good to see you too. And I'm sorry about the farm. That sucks. <laughs> uh, we we have another prospect that um that looks a lot more promising, and it's uh it's another um, Boricua person that we'll be uh, purchasing from, and um and someone that we're already in community with, and so it, it I think it was it was kind of meant to be that way, you know. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Well, again, check out the People's Commentary podcast on Ruth, so you can hear me and Donna and Maria talk about the uh, the summer movements and and everything it, it I feel like this has been a, a good continuation in that conversation so thanks considering all of that my typical sign off seems a little uh, out of character yes. today so we'll just tell everybody to be safe and uh, be thinking about all these things as we move through what promises to be an interesting week thanks everybody thanks <laughs>